0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of ExecuTalks. It's a place to connect with today's top executives. I'm your host, Ash, and in this episode, you will get to hear from the founder and CEO of OfferUp, Nick Huzar. OfferUp is redefining local commerce as we know it, connecting local sellers and buyers now with almost 100 million mobile app downloads. Hey guys, real quick, so Season 3 is coming up soon, and before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know that we've now launched ExecuTalk's video. Now this is the last episode of Season 2, but the first episode we've shared on video. So if you'd rather watch interview highlights in the future, feel free to check out our YouTube channel. So Nick was born and raised in Seattle and remembers his mother having a significant influence on him. She enrolled him in private art lessons so that he could learn how to harness his creativity early on. After graduating from Washington State University, Nick had trouble finding a job that paid well. So he ended up working for a small company where he earned half of the average starting salary out of college at the time. He credits a lot of his success to what he has learned while working for a small company, and saying that it's because he had to wear so many different hats early in his career, he learned so much more about business than the average person, even though he was paid less. Now eventually, Nick started his first company that ended up failing, and as he was looking around for a job, his wife told him she was pregnant. As he was decluttering his house, he struggled to find a way to get rid of all kinds of stuff. Then one day he pitched an idea to his wife, and she would be the first believer in offer up. She would encourage Nick to start up this idea, and even though they had a baby on the way and they weren't secure financially, he took a leap of faith in 2010 and never looked back. Today, OfferUp has been downloaded almost a hundred million times. They've raised almost $400 million. And according to PitchBook, they're valued at $1.4 billion. How's
1: it going? Hey, Nick, how are you? Doing well. Haven't talked to you in about, uh, I don't know, 56 minutes.
2: (laughs) I know, I I missed
1: you. Just curious, how how have you guys been, uh, uh, how do you feel covid has changed how businesses operate in the long term i was pretty hesitant of remote work in the past and part of it
2: was because we were changing a lot within the company and it just didn't seem like the right time but whether i was ready or not covid forced it to happen and i think uh, my worry was always are people going to be productive is communication going to suffer in fact i found the opposite to be true people now feel more connected with their peers than they ever have which is weird like so i do uh yeah, we have, we have uh, exact uh, happy hours every two weeks, every other week. We never did that when we were in the office, ever. And now we spend time, we get to talk and get to know each other much deeper. And uh, we went out periodically and stuff for dinners and all that, but not on not in that regular cadence. So um, I think people are happy not, not to be commuting. You know, 90 minutes of commuting a day, it's all back in their life. They can use that time differently. So I mean, I think the thing people miss is clearly meeting people face to face, you know, there is a benefit of being, you know, being in front of a whiteboard sometimes. But uh, overall, like we've done a bunch of surveys. I've, I've now done roundtables with all 300 plus employees. And I'd say overall, the reaction, the, the ability for people to do this for a long period is 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 high. There's a lot of enthusiasm for this.
1: So. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, maybe it's because people uh because people are so alone they kind of miss that connection and maybe that's what makes them realize that they actually need i don't know that's kind of that's kind of really interesting though. that's really interesting
2: i mean that is, i think the two people are the two groups of people struggling the most are the people that really want to see other people and i get that and then i, I think clearly busy parents especially when kids, schools are closed like they're they have it the worst We'll, I think we're going to really embrace remote work moving forward, and we'll still have an office and a time for people to come and meet. It's just, we're just going to use it differently than we have in the past, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, interesting.
2: All right. So I'd like to start off with a quick icebreaker. Nick, what is your favorite book? Probably The Hard Thing About Hard Things, Ben Horowitz. If anything, I consider that book therapeutic. <laughs> He's definitely gone through a lot of hard things, and so just to have his raw points of view on what he lived through, I thought was uh, pretty, pretty helpful.
1: Uh, what's your favorite movie? Uh, it's easy.
2: The matrix first one. Nice. Uh, who's a public
1: figure that you look up to
2: Richard Branson and he definitely Elon Musk. Like he takes on massive problems. Uh, I don't know if that guy sleeps, uh, but very, very inspirational when you think of the, some of the problems that other people are solving. I think Elon Musk is just, he's, he's going big on so many levels. So respect <laughs> that a lot. Uh,
1: what's a favorite
2: thing to do by yourself? Well, especially during COVID, I like to be pretty physically active. So I get out every day. I try to work out like that's my own time where uh, my kids know to leave me alone. Uh, everyone leaves me alone. I don't check my email. So uh, that's, that's, my, that's the only sacred time I have in a day. By the way, do you exercise like in the morning or in the evening? I uh, used to in the morning. Uh, before work, but now since gyms are closed, I, I kind of, now it's, I'm more of an end of the day guy, but that's, that's kind of new to me. Uh,
1: what's your favorite vacation
2: spot? Uh, Cannon beach. Uh, I'm going there in fact in two weeks. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be nice. Yeah. Beautiful kind of coastline in Oregon. Nice, nice and open. Great for social distancing. Nice.
1: Uh, what's your favorite dessert?
2: Sour patch kids. Oh, really? That's interesting. Not the yellow ones though. Those are gross. <laughs> okay. Green ones.
1: Uh, favorite childhood memory?
2: And I had a lot of good ones. I mean, one of the things I always appreciated that my mom made me do was just she made me try everything. And I think because of that, I wasn't really great in any one thing. I didn't excel. Like, I wasn't any really great in one particular sport. I'd always said I was kind of okay. Um, she, did, she did really encourage me because I like to draw, pretty creative. And so, you know, when I was young, I took private art class a lot. And uh, I really enjoyed that because I think that helped me You know, even even as I got out of school, I think that just built part of my brain uh, that I I continue to leverage now. So I always enjoyed um, the artistic side of things.
1: Nice. And on the topic of your childhood, uh, I know you you said you were born and raised in Seattle. Do you you mind just kind of paint us a a brief picture of your childhood growing up? Like maybe if I was in a classroom with you in middle school or high school, like who was was Nick?
2: I would say I was a pretty good student. I was not a straight A student. Uh, If I liked it, like business classes and stuff, I excelled and got A's. If I didn't, like history, it was a struggle. I was kind of a class clown. So I was out in the hallway a lot. I mean, I was friends with everybody, really. I really got along. I appreciated everyone and really uh, liked people. And that was always kind of, you know, who I was. But I think, uh, yeah, in school, I knew everyone and I always tried to make people laugh and smile. And sometimes I get in trouble as a
1: result, but uh, it's fine. Nice. I like that. And, um, you just what was the relationship like with your uh, like with your parents did you have any siblings yeah
2: so i had my, my mom was a therapist uh, and my dad was an engineer at boeing and i think uh you know hopefully i'm I'm the best of both of them um, I think to run a company and to build a tech company, you have to know technology like i can I can code i understand how tech works I'm not a deep engineer by any means, and I think if you're building and developing people you um you know I can appreciate uh, therapist more now like there's a lot of moments where you have to deal with uh challenges around how people communicate or what people are going through and, and life happens and um you know i think as companies get bigger you really realize how many people are dealing with a lot of different things and the things you get to see as a leader and a ceo and so i think to have my some of my mom's dna has clearly been uh
1: been helpful there that's cool and uh you know now like looking la- looking back on your life um the reason i like to kind of paint the p- audience a picture of your childhood is you know looking back who do you feel like had the biggest impact on you shaping your life principles that you still carry with you today and like maybe what are some of those principles
2: uh it's funny i have to forget all the ones i wrote and my 40th birthday i actually wrote them and i posted them on facebook and there's a handful of them but um i, I don't know, i think my mom is probably the biggest influence she was kind of an entrepreneur she yeah she was a therapist but you know i think you know like i said kind of back to my childhood i always felt like I'm no better than anyone else. And I think that, you know, we all, we all, we all die and go into the same earth. And, uh, you know, I just always felt like you, you need to treat everybody respect no matter who they are. You know, I, I think the other one is, you, 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 know, I always felt like life is short. So, you, you know, find your passion, find what you love doing and really do that to the fullest, you know, and that's hard for a lot of people. And I think, um, so a lot of people go their whole life, right. And they never know what they were meant to do in their life. And I felt like I was lucky. I kind of figured that out, you know, pretty early. So, um, I like to tell people like, optimize for your time, not for money. Right. That's another thing I believe in is like money is an enabler to do other things, but um hmm. you should think about how you choose to spend your time and be very disciplined um on that. And and the other one I think is just really just having ridiculous work ethic. <clears throat> like I've always worked extremely hard and you know, early on, I mean, one of the reasons I think offer ups you know, didn't die in the early days was just because I would work twenty four seven. And I think uh you know, I've always believed that if you, if you want something, you need to, you need to develop yourself, you need to focus on it and, and go get it and no one's going to give it to you. So I don't know. I think those are some things my mom clearly instilled in me.
1: No, those are, those are, it's really great. After, uh, after high school, you went to college, you went to Washington State University. Can you just, you know, briefly touch on that experience? Maybe some, like, what was like a, a couple of main takeaways out of that experience and then kind of jump into the, uh, you know, why you initially did what you did instead of taking the traditional route like your friends did.
2: It's a school that, well, for one, I wanted to get away. as, as part of it. So living in Washington, there's other colleges you could have went to, and I, I chose to find one that was literally like six hours away. Uh, I just wanted to experience something new. Part of it, uh, and it's a school that has a lot. It's a very heavy, I'd say, a very a lot of camaraderie, a lot, a big networking school. People that really you know work well together. Um, and so I really took that away from school. I, I, I studied really hard. I focused a lot on, you know, my degree, but at the same time I really embraced like everything that college has to give. And I, and I, I'm, I'm empathetic with people right now that are in this remote work and they're debating like, Oh, uh, can I just do all this remote? And I'm like, you're missing like a huge chunk of college. Like I, I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine doing, doing this remote. So uh, that would be challenging. So, you know, I ended up, I ended up uh, with an MIS degree Out of college, you know, this was like the during the dot-com heyday. Uh, And there was a lot of different opportunities. I had a bunch of friends that were making a lot of money, basically, with, you know, just with their degree and no experience and working for, like, consulting companies, like Anderson Consulting. And that was kind of the hot thing back then. You could travel around. You could learn a lot. Um, And while I interviewed there, I didn't get it in some of those locations. I didn't get a, you know, I didn't get an offer from those jobs. I ended up taking a pretty significant pay cut to work at a startup that was started by some of my fraternity brothers. And at the time I made $27,000 a year with a college degree. Uh, And I'm like, man, I can barely pay rent with this. Like it was so, and most of my friends are making like 45 to $50,000 a year. Um, And the company was small. We were basically building like database driven websites. Um, And now you look and go, well, was there a world before that? And the answer was like, yeah, we had to convince people why they needed a database plugged into their website. So we were doing like integrations with like uh, Paramount parks, for example, they had no online ticketing system. They didn't even know what that was. And mm-hmm. so we built that out or, or Raleigh was a good example the bike company. Like we built out their whole e-commerce experience. And so, uh, I was fortunate that I got a job there and pretty quick I was, I was a product manager leading teams on how to integrate and work with these, these companies. I was fortunate to sit next to an engineer that taught me how to code And I'd just sit there and she'd teach me how to do HTML and I learned those things. And then because of my, probably maybe some of my art class background, I decided like, I want to learn Photoshop. Like, how do I do this? And that's not an easy thing. It takes a lot of work. Um, But before I knew it, like within a year of working there, I had so much exposure to business and how to build businesses. Uh, I could code. I I I could design something in Photoshop and then I could code it myself. I could make it fully interactive all by myself. I was never a good backend engineer, but I could, if I wanted to, I could leverage people and make, you know, make things interactive and make things work. And I think I knew pretty early on that, um, like, man, the internet's awesome. Like it's just infinite creativity and like, I could do this mm. the rest of my life. And so, you know, I did that job for about a year or so and the dot-com bubble hit and uh, I was impacted by that. But, um, I don't think I'd be where I was today if I didn't have that job. So I think my, my encouragement to anybody, you know, listening and thinking about job opportunities is. You know, the big companies will always be there. They're always, the Microsofts and the Amazons, they're always going to be there. But if you want to really grow and be stretched and understand, like, it, what you're really good at, you got to go to a small company. Mm. Uh, I'd say the, the most growth I've had as an individual in my entire career has never been at the big companies. In fact, I've, you know, I've worked at Microsoft and t mobile and, you know, respect them as a company. But as an, on a, as an individual, I felt like I grew the least my whole career. Um, and I think in a small company, you're forced to stretch. You don't have much of a, you know, there's there's just too many things to do and not enough people. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And that kind of forces you to kind of really understand what you're good at. So, um, I, I felt fortunate that, you know, going in, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm broke. I could barely eat. (laughs) Uh, but now looking back, I'd say like, you know, I was, that was real world education that, that school is not going to teach you and something you were never going to get in a big, big environment.
1: Yeah. J- just curious, like w- when you initially did take that job and, you know, for that amount of time that you were working at that, you know, working there, did you ever feel like, man, like, okay, oh, my friends are making this much money. Like, did you know that, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm eating dirt right now, if you will, but later on this will benefit or like, did you not know? Like, what was your mindset? like?
2: I, I, I don't think I knew. I mean, I just assumed over time, like, Hey, maybe this can be a really take off and I'll benefit from that. I was just so busy learning and and enjoying it that I didn't, you know, I just felt like, hey, this is great. I I, I don't think at the time I was thinking, hey, am I going to do this for 10 years? Um, But I was just, I I was inspired by what we were doing and thought there was a lot of opportunity. And again, I felt like, hey, if now I have experience. If I want to go work at another one of these companies over time, then I could probably go do that. So
1: Hmm. interesting. So you, you kind of focus on learning. That makes sense. Yeah. What uh, just and can you briefly touch on uh, how did the, you know, how the opportunity at Microsoft came about? And the reason I'm asking is because just so people understand like how opportunities come about. Sometimes it's, sometimes it just kind of, it's a coincidence. Sometimes they go out and look for it. So just wanted to hear the different stories about like, how did the opportunity yeah. at Microsoft come out?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I would say one thing that I've always, you know, I, I focused on a, uh, pretty early in my career was just networking. And I was encouraged. I, it's amazing to me how few people really, I think do it. Well, uh, I think a lot of people feel it, it, it's a big time commitment to go out and meet a lot of people and make connections. Mm-hmm. And I really believe in life. It's not so much what, you know, it's who, you know, and I, I, I've always believed in that. And so, um, you know, so I, through it, I think a, through a series of friends. I happened to connect with a guy uh, that was, running a kind of a um, contracting agency. So I was never a full-time employee at Microsoft. I was a contractor for pretty, less than a year. Uh, so through you know, a series of connections, met him and he said, hey, you know, you've got a lot of what they're looking for. You should go interview for this job. And um, <clears throat> I'm glad I did because when I, I, I was on unemployment for almost a year, I mean, during the dot-com bubble it was rough. It was a very, very rough time for me. Uh, I would moved on from a serious relationship I had had, of like four years. Um, I was, you know, I had very little money. I was racking up debt. Like it was not a good time. So uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, to be clear, I needed a job and I thought that was a good opportunity and maybe a way in the door that I could potentially be a full-time employee at Microsoft. But I think I knew pretty quick when I was there that like that was not my DNA. I was doing a job, but I was not growing. I was not challenged that much um and so i'm happy i had that uh experience uh but um what i learned from the company i had you know worked at previously that i just i kind of knew what my i wanted to do a little bit more and and um you know while it was a paycheck i kind of knew long term i probably didn't want to be there anyhow no
1: well, that makes sense and then can you touch on also how the the team opportunity was the same thing just like through a connection or was it I'm just curious
2: yeah so that so fortunately when i worked at microsoft i had moved i used to be Uh, living further south in Federal Way. And then I I moved up to Lake Union in Seattle. And uh, I had a roommate uh, who was working at T-Mobile. So that was pretty dang easy. He's like, you should just go apply. Um, At the time, uh, T-Mobile was just rebranding from VoiceStream. And uh, they had a very small web team. They had five people on their web team. And so, um, you know, when I interviewed, I kind of, you know, I just, told them all the challenges and the things I I had observed on the outside of like, Hey, I always, ideas did things, ways we can make it better. And so I got the job pretty quickly there. And, uh, that was a good experience because we got to grow that team. It became way bigger over my time there. Um, and I was able to manage it was at the time, like three different main areas of the website. One was just, you know, how you buy a phone online, which was not really at the time was not really the dominant way to buy the phone. Uh, and we, we moved it to be the way that most people actually uh, purchased it at T-Mobile. Um, you know, we launched the first ever camera phone in the U S we launched the first ever video phone in the U S cause the web was the fastest way to get things to market. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember launching the first video phone. It was like this old Nokia Nikio phone and it took like 15 seconds or something of, of, of film. And it was like, Earth-shattering at the time, right? And and now you look back and like that thing was a relic.
1: Um, I want to get into the uh, um, you know your first startup in just a second, but before that, I just wanted two quick tangents. Um, One of them is I'm just really curious. uh, You know, you say you had said that you had got over a serious relationship, and you know, you were kind of in a um, a low point in your life. What do you feel like some things? um, Because obviously, when people are at low points. To, they might have to do things to get out, you know, to get kind of out and out of bed. Right. What are some things that you feel like helped you kind of move on from your relationship and kind of like, you know, just move forward.
2: Yeah. So that was a hard time. Like um, for me, like when I got out of school, I, I would say the thing and it's stuck with me even to this day is uh, back to what I said about just staying physically active. Uh, I was having a hard time. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating well. And eventually I just said, you know, something's got to change. Uh, I need to get, I need to get healthy. I need to focus on myself. Um, Within probably a week, all of a sudden I was in a completely different mood. And it was, it was just simply physical. It was physical. It was like, man, I'm working out. I'm doing something. And like, I think that relieved a lot of stress. Um, You know, I find a lot of times when I have other friends or people that say, oh, I'm stressed. My first response is, are you, are you working out? Go work out. And you trust me, you're not going to have a time. You're not going to have a hard time going to bed. Like you're going to be tired at night. Um, but I think that that was the one thing I think that changed me in my early twenties. And to this day, it's stuck with me. Like I, it's rare I don't go a week without doing something, uh, usually multiple times a week. And I think that's always kept me a little, a little bit more calm, uh, through the, through the turbulence of, uh, um, you know, building companies.
1: No, I love that. And then the second tangent I wanted to, you know, you mentioned that, um, so many so few people do it networking effectively and networking is important and you know it's not about what you know it's about who you know could you i guess what tips would you have for somebody in their mid-20s that maybe like are just unfamiliar with you know networking what what are some tips on like how to network effectively
2: i would say you know first of all you you have to acknowledge it's a time commitment it is like sales you know you have to just go out there and be open to grabbing coffee or well now it's a lot more challenging during this environment so yeah. let's that's, it's ignore COVID for a moment. Um, and just find opportunities, find places to meet up with people, you know, through friends, reach out to people on LinkedIn and say, Hey, you know, do you mind if I grab coffee? I just want to chat with you about X, Y, Z. And, um, you know, so I just have done a lot of that. Um, and if you can, if you, if there's things you're passionate about, you're like, Hey, I want to go build this, um, like finding a co-founder. It's amazing to me how many people, like I can't, you can't underestimate the amount of time it takes to find a great co-founder. Like they can be smart, but you, you, a lot of stars have to align for that to happen. And uh, early engineers and developers, like I I used to go to events and have a, uh, a t-shirt that says looking for, and I would list all the the languages that we needed people to uh, develop on. And I found an engineer that way. One of our first engineers, I was at a tea or at a coffee and uh, it was a big networking um event. And he comes up to me. He's like, Oh, I know most of those things on your t-shirt. And I go, you want to have coffee? And we did. And he spent all summer coding for us in the early days of OfferUp. So, um, you know, I, th- I think that if you have a passion for something, you know what you want, you should visualize it. I'm a, I'm a very big belie- believer in visualization. You should write it down and then you should figure out, you know, what is it going to take to actually go and do it? um, and I think that's, you know, that's the hard part, but you need people, especially if you're building a company, you cannot do it by yourself. Like there's no way. So, um, I just encourage people to get out there, get out of their comfort zone, especially if maybe you're, uh, that's hard for you. Um, you just, just know that it's probably a requirement to build anything.
1: No, oh, I love that. I love that. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess now I wanted, I wanted to kind of move into the, you know, your first startup, you know, how did you know it was the right time is the first question. And then, um, you know, what are the first couple steps you took and then maybe, you know, uh, some growing pains you had along the way?
2: Uh my first company that I would say was at you know that got some traction and scale it was a company called Connects, which most people have no idea what it was, not surprisingly. Um, I have to remind people like uh, uh this was before Facebook, and before MySpace and before Friendster. Some people are you know, it depends on how old you are, but you might say, Well, what the heck was Friendster? Uh, so sometimes in startups, timing matters and we were very early, like we were way, way early. And so, um, you know, it was hard. It was, people thought we were crazy. I had people say the online communities don't work. Mm. And I'm like, well, wait, the internet's all connected around, um, you know, businesses mostly at the time. And I said, but why are there so many online dating sites? Like there's like thousands of them, but underneath the hood, they all function the same. And so I just thought, and then again, I was already networking a lot, and I was thinking like, networking is kind of inefficient. What if we could bring all of this online? What if we could take the real world kind of groupings of people and start to build a, a platform that would enable that? And that was kind of the concept for Connects. Uh, I had no idea what social media was; there was no word at the time, um, and so we built that, you know, with, a, with a, another co-founder I had and. Uh, we'd raise money from some some angels and and keep in mind I started doing this and moonlighting uh, while I was at T-Mobile, so I couldn't afford to just leave my job. Uh, so I had this idea, I had a co-founder, and I said, "Well, how are we going to build this thing?" So you know, again, because of my design background, I designed a lot of the initial, you know, the the uh, website and could code a bunch of that, but I was not a great backend developer, so. We actually found a team offshore that could do a lot of that for us. And I second mortgaged my condo. I basically said, look, we're going to pay for it. And so I, I took a second mortgage on my condo I had at the time. Uh, and, um, you know, so I'd work during the day and then I'd come home and i code all night. Right? And I'd wake up early in the morning to connect with the f- team in India and, uh, you know, give them some marching orders. I'd go to work at T-Mobile. I, d- I did that for like a year. Uh, and then luckily we had, um, we got some interest for some other angels and we were able to raise enough that I could finally quit my job. And so end up quitting, uh, you know, T-Mobile to go do that. And, you know, I think, you know, my, my learning from anybody that's thinking about doing a company or, or quitting is make sure that you, uh, I think the hard part for a lot of people is they stare, they stand there and they walk to the ledge and then they never jump. And I don't think most people should jump. I think most people should just stay where they are because there's a, they may not have the the, the grit or the perseverance to, to, to make it happen. But, um, I think if somebody wants to take that leap, they just need to make sure that, um, you know, they're, 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 they're fully committed. You can't, you can't jump and not, there's no going back. So I think once, once you take that leap, you need to be prepared and you need to just keep going and, and, and not stop. um, and but at the same time, if you can scrap and get like a little prototype or something, like the further you can get along uh, without pulling that ripcord, I think the better. Um, and part of the reason is it always takes way longer than you think. It always takes way longer. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I'll, I'll go do this. And within a year, I'm going to raise my $2 million Series A and it's just going to go. And that's never how it is. And so I think, um, you know, I think for, if someone's going to take that step, they just need to be mindful of that. Um, and then the hard part once you get capital is, well, now you got to build a team. Now you got to build a culture. Now you got to grow and prove that there's a market. And I think for us, that was always a challenge. I think the biggest thing I learned from that company was, you know, it is all about the people, the investors and your partners and the people you bring in. And, um, you know, you got to get the right people on the bus. And I think we made a lot of hiring mistakes. Uh, I think go-to-market mistakes. And so, you know, ultimately I, I really, you know, gave it my all for a few years. I moved on. There was a co-founder and investor running it for like another year and ultimately they ended up shutting the company down. Um, but I take a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, I learned a lot through that experience. And, and again, I think because of that, I probably make far less mistakes um, at OfferUp because I was very sensitive to some, a lot of the mistakes we'd, we'd made, made back then. And again, I started that company in my, maybe my late twenties. So I didn't have a lot of work history anyhow. Um, so that was a good, good, uh, I basically got my MBA, I guess, uh, through that experience.
1: Yeah. You know, I like that. I just want to rewind just a little bit when you, um, cause I, I uh, there's been a lot of other people that have said, you know, there's the worst advice is, Oh, you know, do two things at once, you know, have a job and do something on the side. Like you either have to like do a job, you know, do job a or job B fully commit to one. And so, I'm just curious to hear, I mean, this is a new perspective that I'm hearing now where it's, you know, you have um, a fully, you know, a full commitment to T-Mobile for a whole year, but then you're also fully committed to your building your company. I mean, what do you think that that's, I guess, where do you draw the line? How do you feel like people should draw the line, you know, of like, fully jumping onto one boat or staying on two boats, you know what I
2: mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really comes down to people's personal situations. I mean, if you can afford not to work and you want to go all in and build your startup, go do it. Uh, there, there was actually a guy at up. He was one of this, the, the people we met, uh, with the t-shirt and, uh, he worked with us. He was in high school and this kid was so smart. He actually had apps in the app store and, uh, somehow I met him and, uh, he ended up going to college and then years later joined offer up. And he was a phenomenal, really smart guy. And, but he didn't have a huge amount of financial commitments. He was pretty young. And uh, he had this passion for Billy on this fitness app. And he brought it up to me. He's like, look, I think I really want to go do this. I don't know if it's going to work, but like I'm young. I don't have a lot of commitments. I kind of want to go do it. I like offer up, but I just feel like I, I love this idea and I want to go try it. And I just, I didn't even try to, I just, go, I said, go do it, go. If you want to go do it, you should go really think about it. And so he was able to do it and, you know, I think it, you know, I've, I've followed his success, and he it's definitely taken him longer, I think, than he thought. But I've followed him recently, and it seems like he's getting more and more traction. So, um, you know, I think it's it's on a case by case basis, and an individual really needs to kind of decide. Um, but yeah, when 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 the stars align, and if you can afford it, I think fully committing, when you just you got to go. Like you're just going to make way more progress faster than you know, sitting there in the day job. And I know that was a tension I had for a while. I was like, I'd sit in the day job. I'm like, in my mind, it was not never there. I was always like, man, I really want to get home and focus on what I'm really passionate about doing. Um, but I think people need to kind of make that personal decision. But my only point is there is no, you know, once you commit, you, you're fully committed. So once I knew, like I told my, it's my wife now, but girlfriend at the time, I think I knew on a Friday I was going to quit. I think I told her on Monday that, oh, I just quit my job. She's like, what? What are you doing? And I said, yeah, I just, I just pulled the ripcord. And she just thought I was nuts. And I said, no, I'm committing to this. I'm going to go. I'm going to go do it.
0: Hey, guys. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick reminder that every rating and review helps us help more people. So please, 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 if you have just five seconds, and I know you do, please, please, please leave us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts so that we can grow organically in order to reach more people and help more people.
1: Now. Back to the show. So I guess if there was, you know, a concise way to put like some growing pains that you had while, you, you know, you were building uh, Connects, what would they be? You know, I, I think again, in the early days, um, finding
2: the right people on the team. Okay. Um, you know, we we made a lot of hasty hiring decisions. Like we, we lost someone once to Microsoft and we were the scrappy startup that couldn't pay well. So this person, you know, ended up leaving and we needed a developer at the time and i think i think we just hired the first person we could find that was a huge disaster and so i think my my I think my sensitivity with hiring usually is um you know you, you need to be very deliberate you got to make sure the culture is right you got to make sure people are there for the right reasons um and that's pretty hard in a, in a pretty you know small company like you don't have a lot of those systems and structure in place so you know finding um, i'd say i say be, wait to find the right person and i think it feels great like you're, you know especially if you're young in your career you're like hey i need to hire this person i just hired them it's awesome and you you feel good for a moment and then 90 days later you're like what the heck did i just do <laughs> and uh, so you're better off waiting for the right person um and and we've done that at offer up i mean we just hired a new head of uh people at offer up and we've been looking for that person for over a year uh and it wasn't like we didn't meet other interesting people it just wasn't that the right fit that's hard, especially when you're small and you need help, but it kicks you in the butt if you, if you, you know, hire, hire the wrong people too quick.
1: So after four years, right, you were doing, you know, um, it connects for four years and then uh, you decided to start deal deal Springer, which was the, you know, first, uh, first form of offer up. Can you share the story of what made you decide to do that?
2: You know, so th- the initial idea that came about for offer up was a personal pain point I had. I literally had, you know, here I am. I moved on from connects. Um, my wife and I bought a good size house with plans and having kids one day. And, uh, I had no income. I had no income. I just, I pulled the ripcord the other direction. And I said, well, I'm going to you know, go find a job now. Um, and in the middle of that, my wife's like, Hey, I'm pregnant. I'm like, this is awesome. And I go into dad mode and I go into this room we had full of stuff. And I'm going to turn into my dot and a soon to be daughter's nursery. And I'm thinking, kill me. There's got to be a better way. Like, how am I going to sell all this stuff? It'll take me a, all weekend just to post this online. And I think I just closed the door and I ran away. I'm like, I'll deal with it later. And, um, you know, so I'm out there interviewing for a job. But I kept going back to that moment in the doorway and saying, man, like, is, is, is this a time to maybe rethink local commerce as we know it? And I'm looking at my first smartphone, which was the second gen iPhone. Uh, and at the time, by the way, there was no Android phone. And so, again, I think, we, I, I, think I saw something early before most other people saw it. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to go all in. Uh, you know, here I am. I had – I didn't want to be a deadbeat dad, basically. I had a wife that was working. I had a daughter on the way. And I'm like, man, but this idea, I just think, has so, much, so many legs. So I'm kind of interviewing and kept, you know, I'm kind of just sketching. I'm just thinking about you know, rethinking, you know, I'm drawing kind of who the who the competition was at the time. I'm looking at companies like Goodwill, I'm looking at value. And I'm like, wait, why is value locked up all around us? Like, are we all using the existing desktop solutions? And my conclusion was no, not even close. Like value is get it's stuck. Like it's stuck in our homes, it's stuck in storage units and 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 retail stores. And so I just kept thinking to myself, like, because of the smartphone, can we take a problem space that's full of friction and we can we make it as frictionless as possible? And if we can do that, then maybe more people will start to use this and there'll be a new way to kind of reimagine local commerce you know, as we know it. And um, you know, so I think it took four or five months before I finally was convinced that this was a big opportunity. And, and ultimately my wife, you know, now she's starting to show, she's like, where's your job? And I said, you need to come home. I need to present something to you. And so, you know, she comes home from work and I had to, I had to pitch her on this idea. I'm like, look, I have an idea. I want to I run it by you. It was on the big screen TV and I'm full on pitching her. I had like 12 slides and I'm like seven slides in. And she's like, you have to do this. This is the best idea I've ever had. She's like, I think it's big. And um, I said, okay, well, you know what you're signing up for because, you know, with your blessing, I'm not going to look for a job. I'm going to go all in and try to go do this and um so luckily she said yes because had she said no we wouldn't have been you know sitting here today but i think you know you know the first year of the struggle was like i was just coding same with my co-founder and just developing and so between he and i and maybe a few contract engineers uh we built the first ios app the first website and got it all up off the ground running um and um you know that was kind of the first you know aha moment and yeah, and I think it was you know I think in many ways still pretty early like there was still no Android phone and so you know the first year we didn't have much traction at all we just had a product we barely had any money we'd never paid ourselves anything and we just scraped by we just said okay let's just try to get a product to market uh, and we would just work nonstop um, like nights weekends like there's a lot of days I didn't shower uh, I mean that's just kind of what you have to do in the early days to to get something uh, going but. Um, yeah, so that was the I think the very beginning of OfferUp, and you know, one of the things we had really focused on is was like how do we get supply? And so Dill Springer was kind of an early pivot, and it was the the general vision was like how do we unlock value no matter where it is? And so I like to remind people that you know, I get it if you're on the outside and you think about OfferUp today, like we've been installed almost 100 million times in the U.S. Uh, And most people think about OfferUp is, oh, that's where I buy and sell used goods. But 25% of the items on OfferUp are brand new. And that's a growing segment. We have a lot of stores that are using OfferUp now. We have a lot of uh, car dealerships that are using OfferUp. That was always the vision was like, it should be a platform for anything locally. It doesn't matter if it's in someone's garage or happens to be in a a, a merchant down the street. Um, So our attempt to get inventory quickly was like, hey, let's go engage in merchants. Um, so that was where the name deal Springer came about, but we happened to come up with that name right before all the daily deals. So talk about bad timing, everyone thought we were a daily deal site. Uh, and like that was further from the truth. Um, it was really empowering merchants to take pictures and promote things online. Uh, but again, the challenge we had was it was chicken and the egg. Like we didn't have consumers. So, you know, we'd have stores that would post things, but it'd just be crickets on the other end because there was no big buying audience. And so we did that for a while and then we said, well, this isn't working. How do we get how do we get into people's pockets? And mm-hmm. we said, well, what if we rebrand this? Uh, what if we get, you know, focus on consumers and hopefully, you know, if we get scaled then the merchants will come back. They'll come back and start using it. And so uh, that's exactly what happened. And so um, you know, think of think of Dill Springer as simply a branding and go-to-market approach that within a year we pivoted from to a more broad-based kind of you know, consumer, uh, product. And luckily that one, um, took time. So by the way, it took two years until we raised our series a, we had raised a few, you know, hundred thousand dollars from local angels, uh, that helped us to kind of stay alive. But, uh, you know, it was hard in the first two years cause we didn't have a lot of traction. Um, people thought we were, they thought the existing desktop solutions were like, that was it. Like mobile wasn't going to change that. Um, you know, some people shockingly thought the opportunity wasn't that big and that blew my mind. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I think this is one of the biggest opportunities there is. Um, in fact, you know, 85% of commerce, even today is still not online. Yeah, and then there's amazingly, you know, successful companies doing e-commerce today. Uh, but the bulk of it's still local. And so I just thought, man, if we can create a platform, we can help, you know, a lot of local um, pe- you know, not just people, but also retailers to buy and sell things locally. And and you especially see that right now during COVID. Like you really see the impacts of what happens when, you know, supply is stuck. Like there's a lot of companies, a lot of small stores right now that they have no way of communicating to the world that they have great things in their store. They have no way to, um, mm-hmm. you know, sell those things. And, and I think that's an opportunity for, for OfferUp uh, now. But that was kind of the early... You know, spark, and then what the early days were like as we, as we started the company.
1: No, that's great. I just wanted to. There's just a personal question that I'm curious about, and that a lot of you know, some of our audience that I've kind of talked to. You mentioned that, you know, like you, you may not have even started OfferUp if it wasn't for your wife's blessing, and I was just wondering if you could kind of expand having some experience now. Can you expand on the impact of having a compatible, compatible partner and like? You know, maybe what made you realize like she was the one, just like, on a personal level. Just curious. You know, on the
2: partner side, I mean, she is just we're kind of yin yang. Like she's one. One, we have a lot of fun together, and and uh, but we're different in, in quite a few ways, and I think that makes just a good, just a good relationship. Um, and you know, I think she's always one believed in me and been very supportive. I mean, she was there. We were dating when I started Connects too, so I think she knew even before we were uh, married that like who I was and I, that was just part of in my DNA and, and what I was passionate about. I think she knew that I was not good for, uh, I didn't have the DNA probably for larger environments. And she, she spent over 12 years at Microsoft and she, she was very happy and loved, loved doing that. So we were very different. Um, so, you know, I think that was, you know, having her support was, was key, having someone that believed in me. And the other thing, uh, somebody said this to me early and I think it stuck with me is, you just got to tell them everything you're going through. Like you can't hide it and sugarcoat things. And I was always really open with her all the way through what was happening. And, you know, it was tough in the first two years because six months, you know, you, like I said earlier, when you start something, you think, oh, six months from now it's going to take off. And I'm going to do this. That's never how it happens. It's never a linear path and it's full of peaks and valleys. Mm. And uh, I think it's critical that you have a partner you can share those things with that understands because there was plenty of moments early on where I told her, she's like, well, where, why aren't you paying yourself? Like, it's ridiculous that, uh, you know, you've been going at this for over a year now and, you know, you know, we have a daughter now, how long are you going to do this? And I would tell her like, you know, I just need a few more months, you know, I'm still going, still going. And, and then I, would you know, sit down and say, Hey, do you want me to stop? Right. Like you start to have those conversations and luckily she just, you know, you know, we, we would have them and she would be supportive and like, no, keep going. And, And again, I was, Bless you," said yeah, because you know a lot of times my learning through that is persistence, 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 not quitting. And uh, luckily, again, that the stars ultimately aligned and paid off, and we, we really started taking off. But uh, yeah, you got to have a partner that believes in you and supports you, and and is there uh, in the ups and downs because
1: it's you'll definitely have them in the early days. Yeah, it's really crazy for me to just think about like man, like the impact of your partner is so important. Like all she had to do was say stop and maybe you would you know what i mean so it's just crazy yeah. well the, going back to the girlfriend i
2: broke up in the early days i'm so happy i did because she would have never she would have never supported all these things like it just, that was probably one of the reasons it didn't end up working uh and so yeah and and and, and i would have made the choice to, to go do what i wanted to do in my life and say no anyhow and uh so yeah i think finding the right partner definitely definitely matters
1: that's great um, you mentioned that, you know, obviously uh, the early days of offer up were you know, there's a lot of times where it was just really challenging. Um, you had those difficult conversations with your wife and all that. I'm just curious, like what, like what kept you going um, other than your wife believing in you? Like, what you know, cause I'm just thinking about it. Like I'm trying to visualize myself in, in those shoes and, you know, I would, I would assume that you would have moments where you've have, have self doubt and feel like, okay, may, man, maybe this is the wrong thing. Maybe I should go do something else. Like what really, what, what, what was it that kept you on track? I guess what I'm asking, like what?
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I think just faith and belief. Like i I'm still building something I'm passionate about. And and I think in the early days, like, look, the, the probability of building a startup that's why you successful, like rounds to zero. Like I've had people that like, well, what's your math? Like, did you go into this with some calculus? I'm like, that's just ridiculous. Like he just, you would never do it. You would never do it. Like it's just, it's, and so I think that's, you got to kind of throw that out the window and then you have to decide, like, are you passionate about what you're building? Does that drive you? Um, are you excited by the potential and what it can become? And like, could you do that for a long time, knowing that it might take a long time before it becomes something really meaningful. And, and uh, um, that's what kept me going. It was just blind faith that there was a, a huge opportunity out there Um, I'd meet with investors and they'd reject me constantly and it kind of cut both ways. I was kind of, you know, I was bummed sometimes I wouldn't get the capital I needed, but at the same time, I'm like, man, this is great. No one sees what I see. And that means they're not funding my competition. And, uh, so, um, you know, we kind of stayed heads down and kept building product and kept iterating and getting feedback and iterating. And, uh, I think it was, like I said, in the early days, it was not logic because there wasn't much, like we didn't have a lot of traction. We didn't have a lot of capital. Like you, you'd look at this on the outside and go, man, this business isn't really going anywhere. Um, but if you keep, you know, figuring out, you know, the dials to move and you keep focusing on kind of the long term North Star, then eventually those stars align. And I think even to this day, there's still plenty of challenges as we get bigger. Um, but I still I think I wake up every day and I think about long term, the same vision I had nine years ago and say, like, am I excited by that? And there's still a lot of, a lot of innovation to come. And those things excite me and give me energy. And that's always kept me focused was, am I excited about it? And do I believe that there's a, you know, a large opportunity to build a big company, um, you know, long, long term. So
1: I love that. And, you know, I guess on the topic of, uh, you know, passion, I think it was a medium article or some other article that was out there about you. Uh, you had been asked a question of why do you feel why you feel like the U.S. half the U.S. workforce is unhappy, and uh, you know you mentioned that you feel like it's because people aren't harnessing their passion. You know, obviously you were lucky enough to find your passion early on, but I'm just curious, like if somebody's in their mid twenties and maybe they haven't quite found their passion, do you have any advice for like how you can go about finding your passion?
2: I guess there's two two things I'd say. One is it's like your job to figure that out. And I think some people hope that they're in an environment or something. They're like, oh, my manager is going to help me with this. Like, I think a great manager will develop that and find that and pull that out of you and hopefully really help you to do that. Um, unfortunately, at least for me, I just didn't have a lot of great managers that, that helped me in my career. And maybe that's one of the reasons I tend to be an entrepreneur and want to go out about it my own. Uh, but I think that's a, you know, it's your job. You get to figure that out. Um, and the other thing I'd say is like, don't be scared, especially early on to fail and go try things. I think so many people are terrified. Like, oh, I'm going to fail. And oh man, I won't get that next paycheck. And I may be unemployed for a few months. Like, who cares? You're not going to die. Um, and I think, unfortunately, people don't take risks early in their career. And then they get older like me. They have family and commitments and then they're stuck. And they say, well, man, I wish I took that risk in my 20s because uh, it it's, it doesn 't get easier as you get older, it definitely gets harder um, so you know i 'd say people really you know and go out there and try things and again, work in a small company if you work in a big company you 're going to be put more in a box you 're not going to have as many opportunities so you know if you can work in a small company you 'll understand like you 'll start to learn real quick about yourself um you know what you 're good at and not so good at so mm-hmm. i don 't know that those would be my tips is like own it you know work in a smaller environment that pushes you to grow and uh, get out of your comfort zone and know like, Hey, you may fail. Like I've failed as I've failed many times, but it doesn't deter me from continuing to drive forward. And just, I just, I don't look at failure as failure. I just look at, you know, as that is just simply a learning lesson that I can grow from. And I just keep going. So.
1: I love that. Um, Something I'm just kind of personally curious about is uh, for people like the let's say have a product idea or, you know, like they're, they're, they're out there. Right. But, you know, maybe just in the very early stages and they haven't quite built up, you know, like they don't have 75 million downloads, like, you know, however many downloads offer up has, how do you like go about just like building up that, that user base or like, what do you, what do you feel like are some maybe marketing tools or some tips that you'd give that from your experience? on getting more people to engage with your product or to download your. If
2: I think about the early years before we raised our series a and offer up, there was two phases. One was getting a product to market. And it's amazing. Again, my, what I usually tell people is don't over-perfect something, ship early and ship off and just keep shipping. Uh, cause you don't know. And I, I think there, there are a number of people I've seen that one, they take that step and they, okay, I'm pulling the ripcord. I'm going to go do it. And that's terrifying enough. And I, commend people for taking that step. And then the next part is now you get to ship a product and uh, too many people seek perfection and they try to build everything into their V1 and they never ship a product. Mm -hmm. And then before they know it, it's too late, they ran out of money or whatever. And then, then, then they're done. And then the second part is, well, how do you get people to use it? And that was pretty hard. That was the next year of offer up was trying to figure out how to get traction. And we would hack it. Like we would, I would go and show up. We're a marketplace. So you would post something on offer up. I'd show up to your house the next day I'd buy it from you. And I never told you I worked at OfferUp. I just wanted you to think that it actually worked. So then I'd bring the stuff back to our office. We had a small office, like five guys in their coding. And it looked kind of like a Goodwill. It was just stuff everywhere in the office. And, uh, and, uh, and so that's what we did. We kind of faked it a little bit early on, you know, until it worked. Uh, I would then take the item that I bought. I'd also post it back on OfferUp because we didn't have any items. And so I would post those, those back up there. Um, you know, and then I think we really also focused on what are the key metrics that mattered and our belief was, well, it's a marketplace. So if you're not providing value, if there's no liquidity and, you know, items are being posted, but there's no buyers, then it's, then it's no good. Like you gotta be really good at that. So we knew that that was like a key metric and we knew that if we could do that well, then we could probably build something. And so, you know, we had competitors at the time that were raising a lot more money than we had, um, that were probably really smart engineers, but not thinking about the business problem that maybe the right way. And, um, you know, they would launch and they would be nationwide from day one. And my team would freak out like, oh, they raised more money than us. And I'm like, they're going to die. Don't worry about them. Uh, I'm like, we're going to focus on this one zip code right here in Seattle. And if we can't get it to work in this, then we're not going to get it to work. Um, and so we just kept hammering and hammering and hammering. And, and ultimately, we figured out how to get it to work in that zip code. And then we just kept expanding from there. And so we go into each market individually and deploy the exact same playbook that we did here in, uh, in Seattle. And that was the winning recipe. You know, I think we really focused on the product experience, what it was like when you entered in an offer up you know, what it how easy it was to post. It's so easy to post something on up you know, if you can build a product that has great word of mouth and that's how you get to, you know, almost a hundred million installs. Like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, uh, you know, spend a lot of money to get a hundred million installs, but um, you know, people tell their friends all the time about up cause it it's working for them. So.
1: Yeah. That's very powerful, very powerful advice. I love that. Um, and then kind of the last thing I just was really curious about is that um You mentioned that companies are like sort of like religions uh, in the sense that, you know, people have to truly believe. I was just wondering if you can expand on that just a little bit.
2: So I think like when you're building a culture, you need to be, you know, mindful and people need to be bought into the long term vision of like what the heck you're building. And, you know, I tell people in orientation, we do orientation every few weeks that offer up. My first words out of my mouth is if you thought you were joining a classified company, you joined the wrong place. Like that's not what we're building here. That's not what the long-term vision is. Um, you know, this is a this is simply a bus stop along the way to something much much greater. And so, it's you know important I think for me and other leaders to make sure that people understand where are we, and you know, given the context, and and make sure people are joining for the right reasons and believe uh, in that long-term vision. Um, and are comfortable, I think, with the ambiguity and the volatility of an early company. I mean, it's not for everybody. The one thing that is a constant at up, especially is change. Things are changing all the time. And um, so I think people have to have that DNA and that resilience to be able to go on that journey. Uh, but they need to know, understand where they're going and be excited about that. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think we need, and that helps everyone row, you know, the same direction. And uh, I, I really love passionate people. Like, in fact, one of my top interview questions is, what have you bought and sold on offer up? And if the response is like, oh, yeah, well, I've seen the app, that's usually like, if you haven't used the product by now and you're interviewing, uh, I'm usually a pretty hard no. I'm like, usually you're here for the wrong reason. Um, so, you know, I like to understand like what are people passionate about before they join the company and, and have they used the product? Do they care about the product? Do they have ideas on how to make it better? Um, you know, those are things
1: I think we, we look for. That's cool. By the way, I've, uh, I make like maybe three or 400 bucks a month, just like, you know, flipping stuff on offer up. So it's pretty cool.
2: That's good. Cause if, if you were to said you hadn't used it, I, I would have said, Oh, I, I, uh, maybe we shouldn't be chatting
1: right now, but <laughs> <laughs> glad it's working for you. Quick question, by the way, when you say long-term do you mean like five years, 10 years, 20 years, just curious, what's like the number of long? Yeah. I
2: mean, for me, I tend to think like it's hard to predict what the world looks like in 20 years. But when I started off for up, I had a pretty good sense of like at least the next 10 Uh, to be clear, like to get to this point was not a straight line. You know, my mind, I'm like, okay, here's where I want to take the company. Now that we're here and you know, the world has evolved a little bit, you know, now I can look at the next 10 and kind of I think make some predictions.
1: If you were to meet the 25-year-old Nick, uh, what advice would you give him?
2: Again, looking backwards, I'd just say, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot harder and it's going to take a lot longer than you think. Yeah, uh, Just keep going. Keep going.
1: What in your life do you feel has given you the greatest fulfillment?
2: uh probably my family like my my wife and my kids and uh you know I really get a lot from them and uh, enjoy the time and then it you know, i guess it was it relates to work it's really like I like watching people grow and develop I love I love pushing people outside their comfort zone uh there's been a number of times people said ah, I don't know if I can do it and I'm like go do it and and you know letting them know that it's safe to fail like like look I got you I'm pushing you here if you fail you're not going to lose your job uh I just love watching people grow I think it's you know, I think it's great. So
1: it's great. And you know, thinking long term towards the end of your life, if you wouldn't if you if if you could be remembered for one thing, what do you what would you want that to be?
2: Redefining local commerce as we know it. I think I think you know, I think we're especially in the US, I think we're in a very asset heavy culture. Um, and I think a lot of people have felt historically, oh, you need to get everything shipped to you. I believe a lot of the things we need are all right around us. In fact, you know, half of my house is probably furnished from offer up. These are all things I just found nearby. Like my neighbors have similar interests. And I think that's the big opportunity I see is how do we how do we help people discover all this value that's sitting all around us that's just locked up? Uh, so I hope that OfferUp's recognized for that over time.
1: In your opinion, what is the most important life skill?
2: I think resilience and being able to take punches in the face and keep going. I think that you know that's that's going to go a long way in life because life is life is pretty hard at times. You have to be able to kind of persevere through
1: things. What is the best advice someone has ever given you?
2: Just never giving up, never quitting. Uh, I think a number of people I've met have always said that, and and it's hard in the moment. Right, and I think when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, it's easy to say, whatever now having lived through it so many times is I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've had things where you're looking into the abyss. I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And, and then sure enough, a, do- a door just opens up. Something opens up and you go down a path and you persevere and get through the other side. Um, yeah. I think in the moment though, it feels pretty detrimental. It feels like, man, I'm going to die. Um, but I think that as long as you have this attitude that, man, it's hard. I get it. Step back, take a breath and just keep walking um you know i find that that life tends to open up doors and that that's at least for me that's that's worked
1: i love that and then the last one is if you were stranded on an island and had access to one meal what would that meal be spam musubi. it's good what? island food <laughs> really oh yeah
2: if i had to pick one thing you just survive on that stuff right that's good
0: Thank you so, so much for listening. Now, this is our last episode of the season, and season three is coming soon. If you don't already know, we're including subscribers in our future interviews with today's top executives. So if you'd like to be a part of our interviews, if you'd like to connect with our guests, you need to make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter on our website at www.executalks.com so you can receive live updates on opportunities to connect. And as always, if you're feeling stuck in your career, and you're looking for some career guidance, or you just want someone to talk to, I'm always here to chat. Email me at ash.executalks.com. I will see you guys in season three.